0: Good morning. Good morning, everybody in here. Good morning, everybody on there. Only all you see is the back of my head when I do that. Um, Welcome. If you're watching on Zoom, can you please put yourself on mute? Because we can hear you loud and clear this morning. We couldn't hear you last time. If something goes wrong with the technology, please text Eleanor. Um, and she'll sort it out (laughs) (laughs) our next physical service in the building here is in two weeks time on the 13th of June so can you book in with Joe for that and the normal thing the booking, booking in closes the following Friday at noon and that you shouldn't turn up without booking beforehand no house group tomorrow as it's a bank holiday Wednesday prayer meeting will be a week on Wednesday. Uh, next Sunday, which will be the Zoom meeting, we'll be taking communion. So have your drink and your bread ready. Um, if you're here in the main hall this morning, at the end of the service, just wait until Alex and Eleanor steward you out. There are no breakout rooms at the re- end of the service. And one extra little message from Barbara is that the Vine is open from 10.30 to 2.30 Monday to Friday at the moment. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you never change, that this morning it feels different and new again, certainly for me, Um, but you are the rock on which we stand. God, I pray that we will all hear your voice this morning. Thank you that you care for each one of us and you know our lives, you know what's coming up, you know what's been before, and you prepare us and walk alongside us. I pray that we will hear very clearly from you today so that we can walk on into the week and obey you for your glory. Amen. Right, we're going to have a bit of an experiment this morning. All of you who are sitting here, I want you to get something either out of your bag or stand up and stand behind your chair. I want you to be making noise in time to the music. So if you've got car keys, you can jingle them. Stand up and and tap on your chair it's an oldie it's a golden oldie because you can't sing here those guys can sing so they'd better be singing li- nice and loud so get something that you can make a noise with uh, we're going to sing our Lord God) <laughs> that that John had great fun recording that (laughs) and I was just thinking how part of what we do when we're worshipping together and we can't sing is it's we're connecting with each other so if you can connect in some way I just thought it would be better some lovely key jingling going on there from Tanya certainly Um, and some good clapping so feel free to add and join in with noise when you feel it's appropriate I've been um, rereading Job I can recommend reading it in big chunks, it's, it's amazing but I got this week to the bit where I mean he's had such horrendous things happen and these three pious people have been telling him basically he's a sinner and he deserves everything and he can't understand what on the earth is going on and I just thought We're a little bit like that sometimes, and I think perhaps in COVID times particularly, where we can't understand it. Good doesn't seem to be happening to the good. It just doesn't seem to work. And at the very depth of it all, this is what he says. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. We can say that. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And this next hymn has been at my brain for so long, uh, I asked John if he'd record it, an old hymn, God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year, and it's very much God is in charge. He is still in charge. He will be in charge. He was in charge. He is in charge. He is working it out. So that's, that's what I wanted us to think about. Feel free to dance.
1: give it Shall be filled with the glory of God, as the waters cover their sea.
0: If you have your Bibles, don't worry if not, because Nick will be reading. Um, If you want to have them open at 1 Samuel chapter 4. Over to Nick.
2: Good morning. We're continuing to look at some of the miracles in the Bible. And this is an Old Testament miracle. It's the story of when the Ark of the Covenant was taken before the god Dagon. Uh, Dagon was an ancient deity of the Philistines, and we know quite a bit about him in the sense of what it looked like. And just to help you with the picture in your mind, Dagon was, in fact, uh, a merman. So if you think of a, a merman, uh, all tail and the body of a man and, and the head of a man, that's who Dagon was. So we need to get some context here. And one of the things to f- mention, first of all, is that this is from Samuel, which is a narrative, it's a story line. So the teaching is in the story. And sometimes people looking at the Old Testament can get confused by the detail. And they start to say there's there's, uh, contradictions in the Old Testament because the detail doesn't match up. Whereas if you read it with the intention that the authors have, most of these objections go away. For example, in this uh, story, there are numbers. Now, if it was meant to be exact it would say 4,321 but it doesn't it says 4,000 or so many other thousand which is a clear indication that we're looking at uh, a big big number a bigger number rather than the exact number so we don't want to get caught up in too much of the detail we want to look at the story and understand what we're being taught from the story a little bit of history we need to know the ark of the covenant Now, the Ark of the Covenant uh, was made probably about 13 to 1500 years before Jesus. When the Israelites left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea and then they camped in the desert. And there in the desert, under the instruction of Moses, they created the Tent of the Presence, which was like a traveling temple, which had furniture in it. And one of those pieces of furniture was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the most important piece of this furniture. It was a square box covered in gold, and inside were certain uh, things. We won't go into those, like the stones of the Ten Commandments. But on the outside, the top of the box, it had two angels facing one another. And the the teaching was that the presence of God uh, lived between the wings of the cherubim. Now, this is not to say that God was only there. Remember that these are people who had the writing of Exodus, also had the writing of Genesis, uh, which tells us how God created all things. So we need to be careful when we understand what the Ark of the Covenant was. It was a representation of the presence of God with the story that God dwells between the cherubim. It was not God. And it was not the sole presence of God. And that's the important thing to remember. So that's where the ark comes from. Now, we now skip forward to about uh, a thousand or one thousand, one hundred years before Jesus. So the ark at this time is probably three or four hundred years old. And we've come to the story of Samuel. So I'm just going to read through the uh, scriptures as we get through them and comment as we go through them. Uh, bearing in mind that we're looking at the overall teaching here, not just the the detail. The other thing to to, to raise is that all these Old Testament writings, particularly the narrative ones, are uh, they contain a lot of different feelings. Some of it is very very tragic. Some of it is, uh, very, is I think, quite humorous. And this story, I think, whoever wrote this, the one that was first. Uh, given to these or, or written down. I think there's a bit of tongue-in-cheek with this story because this, the, the teaching behind it is very important, but the actual story um, it could be turned into a sort of comedy because of the way it works out if you can see past some of the tragedies that are also there. So you've got a sort of Shakespearean tragedy plus comedy or a Greek tragedy plus comedy in the same thing in this story so let's let's just read it through and we can comment as we go through so we're going to start with the story of samuel so we'll start at 1 samuel 3 uh, verses 19 to 21 thus samuel grew and the lord was with him and let none of his words fail this is important All Israel, from Dan even to Bathsheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So you've got very clear understanding that the word of God and the presence of God and the teaching of God was easily accessible to these people had they so desired. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. In other words, uh, Samuel has the ear of God. Now, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in a line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. Just remember that, 4,000 were killed. Not an exact number, so we, we do not not start comparing numbers here. This has given us an idea of the loss to Israel. And when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us? So they have a clear understanding that they should be living and working within God's teaching because they're saying God has defeated us. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh. Now here's the clue that we need to look at, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. It, they are looking to the ark for for power rather than the presence of the Lord. God is a relationship, and they here were looking for almost an idol. And yet the writer has been clear to show us at the start of this story that they had access to the teaching and the word of God, We don't know why they went out to fight with the Philistines this time. Maybe they had no choice. Philistines may have attacking them, but they were defeated. And maybe the hint here is they were looking to the wrong source. So the people of Shiloh went and brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim, remember that, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So they they went to get the Ark and the priests to look after it. And as soon as the Ark of the the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Now here's this clue again. Why were they so excited that the Ark was there? It's God they need, not the Ark. And okay, so God dwells between the, the, the seraphim or the cherubim on top of the ark, but he also dwells in Israel. That is symbolic of him dwelling with Israel. So they have a misplaced confidence here in in the presence of the ark, rather than the obedience and the submission and leading to God. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, They were afraid, and they said, a god has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. So they have some understanding of the God of Israel. They have the reputation that they're still thinking about gods and idols. And just like the Israelites, they they were disturbed by the presence of the ark. So again, we can see this is not a heart relationship here. This is um, misplaced on both sides, uh, understanding who who God is and what God is saying. Take courage and be men O Philistines, lest you become the slaves of the Hebrews as they have been to you. There may be a clue in why there was a battle going on. The the Hebrews may have been rebelling against the Philistines. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a great slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark was captured and the two sons of Eli that's Hophni and Phinehas, died. So a huge tragedy follows this misplaced confidence that the Israelites had by putting their confidence in the ark rather than the obedience and the teaching of God. So we'll have a little break now and we'll come to see what happens next in a minute.
0: Right, um, you're going to sing at home and mutter and hum here with the two next songs, Um, just acknowledging how great our God is after what uh, Nick's been saying.
2: The danger of misplaced confidence. What matters is our relationship with God and are we trusting him not just in symbols or in churches or in teachings or in being right or whatever we have. It's our relationship with God that matters and that's what is missing here. The Israelites start off and they lose 4,000, then they bring in the Ark of the Covenant and now they've lost 30,000 dead and the ark has been captured. So uh, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Let's keep to what God is teaching and look to our relationship with him and our personal trust in him and our obedience to him. They had not consulted God. They hadn't looked to him for guidance or leadership, as uh, later leaders do. So what does God do? Well, now we have the... Simple reality that uh, Israel is in a situation where they looks how are they going to recover from this thirty thousand dead and their main religious uh, symbol and the, the center of their religious faith is captured. We still remember that the Ark of the Covenant was not God, but it was God's symbol. It was something God had had made. It was something God had given to the Israelites. So although it has been treated here as an idol and has, because of that, been maybe one of the reasons for the defeat. It was still God's work and God still honors it. And God still um, is not going to have it misused by anybody else. So if there are two lessons to take from this story, one is the story of our personal responsibility. The Israelites were responsible for their faith, responsible for their obedience, and they're responsible for the uh, mistakes that have happened here. But also, there's a message from God, which is God does not need defending. Here the ark is in the hands now of the Philistines. There's no one there to defend it or God's reputation. God does not need you to defend his reputation. Your job is to be obedient to what he teaches you to do. God is quite able to defend himself. And that's what happens here. And this story now, as we read it through, almost gets more and more comic. Uh, Although it's written on the back of a tragedy, it it takes us to a place where you start looking and thinking, oh, surely not. But uh, let's read it through. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philippines took the Ark of the God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up besides Dagon. So now you can have this picture of this, this square Ark of the Covenant, which is probably just under a metre uh, by half a metre by half a metre um, or two and a half foot by one foot by one foot, if you're in the old language, uh, covered over in gold with these two pictures of uh, or uh, two statues of um, maybe two angels facing each other with their wings coming up over the top, and God, having said His presence is between the the, the cherubim, and they place this before the idol of Dagon, and Dagon is big big merman, so you can see this sort of picture of this maybe uh, Neptune or type head, long long hair, sorry, long hair with curls in, um, and a crown maybe and that the body of a man, and then like a big fish tail, um, everything else uh, of, of the fish. This is who Dagon was. So immediately we have to think he has to be propped up. He can't stand up on his own because he's a fish. Uh, so he's propped up before the Ark of, um, of, the, of God. And when the people of Ashdod rose early next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark. Oh, here's a clue. Um, God's protecting himself. This idol has fallen over. It's probably been propped up there for a good hundred or so years, but there it is. Now it's fallen over. So what do they do? So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold only the trunk of Dagon was left to him the fish bits um, everything else is fallen off this is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon to this day so God does not need anybody to defend him when he wants to he can bring down the idol and he did and I, I've just found that quite a funny picture of um this half fish, half man, uh, falling over a couple of times, and um, what they're going to do now? So uh, we can we can take that and, and apply it to ourselves today. There are a number of cultures in our country which are very opposed to the teachings of what is called the Judeo-Christianic base from which we come from, and they are trying to replace them and change them and alter them. And uh, we have my truth, uh, and demonstrable facts don't matter. We as Christians, our role is to obey God, to be obedient to him. And God will sort this out. Dagon will fall over. Um, I, I noticed in the Internet just a few days ago that there was a big legal battle going on between the feminists. A lady who's a feminist who's presently being lost a job and is now trying to take a big court, court case and uh, sue someone who took a job off her because she tweeted that you can only have two sexes, uh, male and female. And um, this apparently is unacceptable. You can't see this. So she did. And she's a a, a feminist uh, campaigner. You can see what's going on. Dagon's falling off his perch. Basically, God will bring Dagon down. Our task is to be faithful to God and to be obedient and, and watch him do the rest. So. Let's take up the challenges whenever they land on our table. That's our responsibility. Let's listen to God when he speaks, but have confidence that he, God, will answer himself. And the story gets better. So let's read on the rest of it if I can get my page back on here. And the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors both in Ash'od and its territory. We don't need to go into what was actually going on. Uh, people have talked about bubonic plague and all sorts of things. It doesn't matter. God caused problems for the people who had the ark. And when the men of Ash'od saw how things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So what do they do? Oh, they pass the buck. Um, Rather than solve the problem, let's pass the buck. So they gathered together all the Lord of the Philistines and said, what should we do? They said, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they sent it to another Philistine town. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, with tumors which broke out upon them. So they sent the Ark of the God to Echon, another Philistine city. But as soon as the Ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around to us the Ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. So they got in a big panic and finally they said, we know what we do with it. Send the Ark of the God of Israel back to its own place. So that's what they decided to do. Here is the solution to problems. Put God in his right place. Don't to make any more comments on that? Put God in his right place. So 1 Samuel 6, 1 to 12. The Ark of the of the Lord was in the county of the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called the priests and the diviners, and they said, What should we do with the ark? And they said, Send it to its right place. If you send the ark um away, uh Send it with a guilt offering. I'm going to paraphrase a bit now to save time. So that they put gifts in the Ark of the Covenant and got some uh, two cows, took away their calves, uh, which is to make the cows walk off. And they set the, the Ark of the Covenant walking off down the road with the um, being pulled by by the, the, the two cows. And they said if the... Cows turn back and just wander all over the place and they end up back in in, in Philistine territory. Well, we we'll know this was coincidence. But if the cows take the, the ark back to Israel, we'll know that this was what God wanted us to do. Um, so lo and behold, they set the cows off and the cows pull the ark. And it says they went straight away um, to back to Israel. So where are we? Verse 12, and the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. And they turned neither to the right nor to the left. And the Lord of the Philistines went after them as far as the border. So God actually honours this action when they, that they put the Ark on the covenant and they send it back to where it belongs. Now the people of Israel, they then find the Ark uh, coming towards them, and they say, oh, what's happening here? And I, I, I like the comment, you, you can read this, that says that they made a great stone, uh, verse 14, and uh, had a, 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 probably a thank sacrifice. It says they ate the cows. So, uh, sorry if you're a vegan, um, but I just found that slightly humorous as well. These poor cows have done all this, and they, they pull the icon, what happens to the cows? They get eaten. Um, so they ate the cows, God's not a vegetarian, um, and the Ark is restored to its correct and rightful place. But at the end of the story, there are still some Israelites who don't treat the Ark with the correct honour that it deserves. And a few of the Israelites are struck with the same problem that hit the Philistines. In other words, God is saying, um, don't take my presence too lightly. I'm recording this now on Sunday afternoon, just after we've had communion, and I've got in my mind the reading that Paul gave us from, I think it was the message, where it says about don't let familiarity breed contempt, um, contempt with the, the Lord's presence, the, the Lord's supper. This is the same thing here. Don't let familiarity breed con- uh, contempt. Although I've, I've made... A strong point that the Ark is not the presence of God. It represented the presence of God. It wasn't actually the presence of God. It was still the vehicle that God had given and needed to be treated with respect. Uh, a bit, little bit like the communion, uh, uh, the, the Eucharist bread and wine. So some of them still were punished for not treating the Ark with honour. But the end of the story is the ark ends up in the right place. Um, People start to learn a little bit about the presence of God, uh, that it's a relationship, a story that the Israelites have to to learn over and over and over again. And I think at the the end of the story, um, let's just read the last bit, 1 Samuel 7, 1 to 2. And the men of kirith Jiram came, which is where the ark started, came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer. So now they're treating it respectfully. They're consecrating a priest to have charge of the ark. From that day, the ark of the Lord was lodged in kirith Jearim. A long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel sought after the Lord. Um, and in fact, we then now know that the ark stayed there until David brought it um, in, into uh, Jerusalem and S- S- San, uh, Solomon puts it into the, the temple. So the two lessons for us are, firstly, God can look after himself. And the second one is that we still have a responsibility to behave honorably towards God's things and to listen to him and play our part as well.
0: Thank you, Nick. Um, The next song I chose, without knowing what Nick was saying originally, is basically a response to what Nick's just said. Um, And we in the building, although we can't sing, you can certainly say these words as a prayer in response to what you've been listening to. God, I look to you. It's about our responsibility, what, how we're going to be.
1: My shi-
0: going to have five minutes now of uh, silent prayer. There will be some images that come up that will just inspire you, hopefully, to pray for a, a wide range of things. We start with praise and worship for what God has made. for what God did for us when he came to earth, thanks and praise. the fact that he didn't stay on the cross but his power was shown by the resurrection that he's seated at the right hand his power at work in us We pray for the government, for governments worldwide. Pray for the NHS, for the workers, for the decisions that are being made. for those who are ill amongst us and others struggling in other parts of the world. For young people everywhere, but particularly our own as well. All the decisions they're having to make, exam results, future, their faith. for the people who are persecuted for their faith, that they will stay strong For the church, all believers everywhere and for this church. God thank you that you hear what is on our hearts that you intercede for us that some of these things that we've thought about just now are so big and so difficult and so hard to pray for that you interpret the groaning of our hearts and bring it before the throne of God thank you God that you allow us to bring our things to you I just want to pray now and thank you for being with us this morning, God. And pray that whatever it is you've said to us, to each one of us, that we won't lose it. That we will continue now with what is growing in our hearts from you. And bring glory and honour to your name this week. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.